Well, hey, good morning, church. How are we doing? Good, good. Happy October, everyone. Isn't it crazy? We're already in October. It is going by very fast. Um, do me a favor. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Exodus 20. We're going to be in Exodus 20 this morning. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, we've got a solve for that. Just raise your hand and we've got people coming down the aisles right now who their sole purpose is to get a Bible into your hand. So just raise your hand and we will get that to you. And um, by the way, if you don't own a Bible, please take this home and keep it as our gift. Yeah, just raise your hand and we will get that to you. We want to make sure you have a Bible open this morning. Again, we're going to be in Exodus 20. And just to bring you up to speed, we're in a series this fall where we are working our way through the Ten Commandments. And uh, the first commandment uh, talks all about who we are to worship. You shall have no other God before me. And the second commandment is how we are to worship or maybe how we aren't to worship, right? God says, do not make any idols. Do not make any images that try to represent me. And um, the third one this week, the third commandment that we're focusing on, we see right in Exodus 20, verse 7. So follow along if you're reading. Look what it says. It says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And I'm actually really excited about this commandment, maybe the most excited out of all of them to teach, because I think out of all of the commandments in the Ten Commandments, this is the one that we as Americans have probably gotten wrong the worst. Right? If you were growing up like me and you grew up in the church or you grew up maybe in a Christian school, the third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, this was the swearing commandment, right? It was like, don't swear, that's wrong, and if you're going to swear, definitely don't say God or Jesus as you're swearing. That's taking the Lord's name in vain, right? You can say, gosh darn it, because we're Christians and we're weird like that, right? Like, you can get as close to the line as possible, but don't you dare say those words because that is taking the name of the Lord in vain. And the truth is, actually, I'm just going to share with you the big idea because this is what I'm trying to communicate. It's this. The third commandment has way more to it than just swearing. When we understand this commandment rightly, what we're going to find is it is so much richer and deeper than just words that we say, even though to curse the name of the Lord would be taking the name of the Lord in vain, it actually has way more to do with how we view God and how we live than the specific words that we say. Like this commandment always seemed disconnected to me. It was like, man, he's tackling some big things in the first two, right? Who we worship and how we worship. And really, this one's just about two words that we can or can't say when we're mad. It's really not about that at all. And when I think when we understand this, we're going to learn a ton this morning, and I think our hearts are going to be deeply encouraged by this commandment. So here's what I want to start. I want to start by making an argument to you. I want to convince you that there is a massive biblical theme that we see throughout all of Scripture, and it's this. It's that the name of God is hugely important to him. God cares about the honor and respect and power of his name a ton. All right, here's a couple examples. In the Psalms, Psalm 8 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
right? The thing that is best, the thing that is most beautiful, the thing that is most majestic is the name of the Lord. Psalm 29, 1 and 2 says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in splendor and holiness. That there is glory that is due his name that we are to give him praise for. In Malachi 1, God is talking to the nation of Israel and how he wants to relate to them. And here's what he says in Malachi 1.11. He goes, For from the rising of the sun to the setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Right? What God is explaining to Israel is that part of God's plan in how God interacts with the nation is that the nations of the world will look at Israel and they will bring glory to the name of God. That his name will be great, not just in Israel, but amongst all of the nations. That everything that God is doing is so that his name would be praised and worshipped. When Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, where does he start? He says this. He says, pray them like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Do you know what that word hallowed means? It means holy, honored, revered, right? Jesus says, when you pray, begin by honoring the name of God. It's interesting. I think the best example of this is actually found in Exodus when Moses is on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments. Right? And if you remember the story, after Moses gets the commandments, he's talking with God, he's meeting with God on the mountain, and Moses has this bold request. He's like, God, I want to see your glory. I just want to lay eyes on how beautiful you are. And God's like, um, no, that will kill you because you're still stained by sin and sin cannot be in my presence. But here's what I'll do. I'll let you hide your face in a rock and I'll pass by you. And look what he says in Exodus 33, 18 and 19. He says this, Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name. In the way that God shows his glory, he says his name. And I think we understand why God cares so much about his name in this passage, because God connects his name with who he is. He's saying, I'm going to show you my glory by saying out loud my name. And here's the idea. It's that when God thinks of his name, he thinks about absolutely everything that's true about him in his character. When we talk about God, we're talking about all of God, his goodness, his power, his sovereignty, his justice, his eternality, his character. It is connected, these things, to God. Here's one of the ways I can explain it. Um, do you know how when you have children and, and then you meet another kid who has the same name as yours, like you automatically feel things for that kid? Like my son is Bo and, and there's a couple other little Bo's in our church. And when I see another little Bo, it's like, dude, I instantly like you, right? Because I love my son, Bo. I think he's awesome. So if you have the same name, you can't be all bad. Like I, I, I am impugning what I believe about Bo onto the kid because he shares the same name, names have importance. Did you know that in Israel, under the Levitical law, if anyone blasphemed the name of God, if they cursed God, if they attacked his character, if they lied about God, it was a capital offense. 
you would be stoned. And by the way, this just isn't, wasn't just for the citizens of Israel. If you were a traveler passing through and you happened to curse God's name, you would be executed. So what we see in this third commandment is that if God cares so much about the honor and reverence of his name, we need to care about it as well. And so what I want to do right now is I want to shift gears and I want to talk about how we practically take the name of the Lord in vain all the time, maybe without even knowing it. I want to talk about four ways you and I fall short in this and actually take the name of the Lord in vain. Here's the first. We take the name of the Lord in vain when we attach it to things that are false. When we say things about God that aren't true, when we misrepresent God, when we attach a lie to God, we are taking his name in vain. Like, think about it. Why in our country, when the legal system was established, why is perjury a, a, a crime punishable by imprisonment? Right, it's because we've made an oath to God in that moment to tell the truth. We put our hand on a Bible and we say, we swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. And it's like if we attach God's name and promise that we'll speak truth and give an oath and then break it, that's a serious crime that we should be punished for. Do you know, in fact, Jesus in the New Testament, he was like, don't take an oath at all. He goes, don't swear on my name. Don't swear on God the Father's name. He goes, just have your yeses be yes and your noes be noes. Your character should speak for you. But taking an oath on God's name is so serious. Jesus is like, don't even step on that ground. Like, how flippantly do we hear people say, oh, I swear to God. Oh, I swear on the Bible. It's like, no, that is very, very serious language because we're connecting what we're saying to the very nature and character of the eternal creator God. Um, about 15 years ago, there was a book that came out, a, a fictional book that was widely popular in evangelical Christian circles. And it was, a, again, a story uh, about a man who had just suffered an incredible tragedy and, and was really, really hurting. And, and in this story, God, the Trinity, appears to this man, kind of the Father, then the Son, then the Holy Spirit, and interacts with him. And it was a widely popular book. Here's the problem with that. The author chose to represent God the Father as a woman. It's taking the Lord's name in vain. It's giving a false picture about God. Look at me. Scripture is crystal 100% clear that God has revealed himself to us in masculine terms. Jesus, when he prayed, when he talked about God the Father, only referred to him in a masculine way. So to refer to God in a way that he doesn't refer to himself as, it is heresy. It's taking the name of the Lord in vain. It's attaching it to a false image. Another way this happens, and I think this is one we have to be careful of, we take the name of the Lord in vain when we become angry with God. When we blame God for things that aren't his fault, when we question his character or, or, or believe that we can cast judgment over God. I was talking this week to uh, Brian Smoots, and he is our pastor of soul care and does a lot of counseling and meeting with people. And he said, Cal, one of the things I often have to correct is, is that people will come to me and, and they're in the middle of a divorce or their marriage is falling apart. And the person they want to blame is God. Like, I can't believe God's allowing my marriage to fail. And Brian's like, one of the things I have to correct with them is, listen, there's things and people you can be mad at. Like, there's definitely fault for the reason your marriage is failing. It's not God's fault, though. 
You can be mad at yourself, your sin, your selfishness. You can be mad at your spouse. You can be mad at the effects of sin, but you can't blame God for breaking what he didn't break. God does not sin. We gotta be careful, right? There was a, a massive movement a few years ago that like, man, one of the people that we should sometimes need to forgive in our life is God for the circumstances we go through. That's taking the name of the Lord in vain. God is perfect, he is sinless. And for us as sinful, rebellious creatures to try to put our limited wisdom and conscience and justice and judge God with that, it's a serious offense. We don't get to do it. Here's one, how many of you guys have heard this, this phrase? Well, I just can't believe a good God would fill in the blank. Right, I can't believe a good God would allow a hurricane to hit Florida. He must not be good if he allows that to happen. How could a good God allow a child to have cancer? How could a, this is one, how could a good God send people to hell for eternal punishment? Right, it's us placing ourselves in the judgment seat over God as if God has to prove his character to us. Do you know Paul addresses this in Romans? In Romans 9 he says this, He says, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? It will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of it one or the same lump, one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? When things happen that are bad, The truth is we live in a broken world that has wildly been transformed and broken by sin. We should be angry at our pride, at our selfishness, at our rebellion. We should be angry at the sin of the world. We don't get to swing at God's character. It's attaching something to God's name that is false. Here's the next one. We take the name of the Lord in vain when we use it with selfish intent. When we use it with selfish intent, this is a massive problem in the church and it happens all the time. Let me explain this as clearly as I can. You don't get to use God or his name as a trump card to get what you want. That's taking the name of the Lord in vain. And so the problem is, is we have this tendency to use God or use God's name in a way to manipulate people or to act selfishly and it's wrong. Like, let me give you a couple examples. So when we were doing youth ministry, this would happen on occasion. A a girl would come up to Mary, and she'd be all kind of emotionally tied up. And Mary would be like, what's wrong? And she'd be like, well, I'm dating this guy, and I don't like him anymore, and I really want to break up with him, but I don't know how to tell him. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to say I prayed about it, and God told me we should break up. And Mary's like, the poor guy is going to have his heart broken by you. Don't make God break up with him, too. That's just mean, right? And Mary would be like, well, why do you want to break up with him? And then whatever the reasons are, he smells bad, I think he's boring, I think his friends are lame, I don't have any fun with him. Like, whatever the reasons were, and Mary would be like, give him those reasons. Be honest, have a mature conversation. Don't hide behind a false picture of spirituality when you know why you want to break up with the guy. Don't say God told me to and try to deflect the blame on him. You're using the name of God for selfish intentions. A worse example of this, I remember once when I was in Bible college at Moody, I kind of ran in a circle of friends, and Mary was still back in Michigan finishing up high school. I robbed the cradle a little bit, so I was older. So um, 
I had like a group of friends and there was some guys in my friend group and there was some girls in, in, in our friend group, but we just had like a circle of like 10 or 12 friends that were really, really close. And I remember one day at lunch, one of the girls that was in my friend group came and like she was like visibly rattled. And I'm like, what, what's wrong? What's going on? You don't seem like yourself. And she goes, um, there's a new kid that just transferred to my school and she pointed at him and, and she was like, he was in my first hour class and I've never talked to him before, but after the class, he came up to me and said, hey, I just want to let you know, God told me you're going to marry me. So what me and my friends decided to do was right after lunch, go up to that guy and explain to him that God told us that he was a creep and he needed to stay away <laughs> from that girl, Right. Like, you don't get to do that. You don't get to manipulate people and, and play this trump card. Like, you have to do what I want because God told me that this is the case. You need to be so careful with that. Um, I remember one time at the end of a service, this was six or seven years ago, um, we had a lady come up, and, and it was her first time ever at our church. And she was like, I love the worship. I love the preaching. So excited to be here. And she's like, but God told me something during the service. And we're like, oh no, what's that? And she's like, God told me that from now on, every time I'm here, after the preaching is done and after we close in worship, I get to come on stage and I just get to say whatever I want. And we were like, no, that's not going to happen. And she goes, no, God told me. And I was like, I don't care what you think God told you. And she got really offended. Like, you don't believe in the voice of the Lord? I'm like, I believe in the voice of the Lord. I just don't think he's talking to you. I'm like, those voices in your head, they're not from the Lord because we have elders and we have leaders and we have thought and prayed and, and moved very, very slowly and carefully in how we want this church to function. And someone new doesn't come and get to say, well, God told me I get to do this, so I just get to do this. That's disorderly. And the Bible actually speaks directly against that. She didn't love that answer. She has not been back, shockingly enough. Here's one. Um, how many of us, when someone asks us to do something we know we don't want to do or aren't going to do, what we say is, you know what, I'm just going to pray about it. Because we don't, you know, want to say no to their face, but we know we're going to say no. So to get us out of it, you know what, I'm just going to pray and I'm going to see what the Lord says. Right? Like, like here's, here's a helpful hint. We don't need to pray about the things that Scripture has already clearly called us to do. Right? Like if I'm having dinner at my house and Mary's like, hey, Cal, after dinner, can you help put the dishes away? I, I, I can't be like, hey, you know, I'm going to pray about that. I, I, I'm going to seek the Lord and I'm going to fast and I, I'm going to see what he tells me, right? Mary would be like, if you don't put those dishes away right now, you'll be fasting all week, right? Like it's not <laughs> going to go well for me, right? Hey, 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 do you want to join our small group? Hey, hey, do you want to get involved in service? It's like we sometimes get asked things that we know we don't want to do, but what we do is, is we spiritualize it and we attach God's name to it because that gets us out of it, but, but we're actually taking his name in vain because we're making a mockery of what it means to truly walk and seek the Lord. This is something that you and I need to be really, really careful of, and I want to explain to you how this plays out in the life of the leadership at our church. So I've been an elder ever since our church was founded almost 12 years ago. Do you know that never a single time in a single elders meeting have one of our elders played that card? Hey, we need to do this or we need to stop doing this because God told me. If we have a suggestion or something we believe that God is calling us to, we talk about it, we get each other's opinion, we, we, we wrestle with it together because we believe that if God moves us in a direction, he's going to use plurality. I believe more in the plurality of elders than even what I think is individually right sometimes. Um, in my marriage, 
I've never once, and Mary's never once with me said, God says that we need to do this so I can win the argument. It's never happened. Because I believe if God's leading our family somewhere, he's going to move in both of our hearts. Now, do we say, man, I feel like God is nudging me in this way, or, 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 or I want you to pray about this, or let's think about this, or let's commit this to a season of prayer. We do that all the time. But we don't play this trump card as an authority to just say, you have to do what I want. All right, now look at me, because this is a really important nuance that we have to get. Um, are we called to build one another up and encourage one another? Yes or no? Right? Yes. We're totally supposed to do that. And by the way, the Holy Spirit helps us with that. Right? How many of you guys have you been maybe praying or, or in God's word or maybe even just driving in the car and it feels like the Lord just places someone on your heart, right? That, that, that's from the Lord. And in that moment, we absolutely should reach out and be like, hey, Scott, the Lord just brought you to mind. I don't know if there's anything going on in your life. Just know I'm praying for you. Is there anything I can do for you? Like, love you, thinking about you. When it's to encourage and build someone up, it's awesome to say, hey, the Lord's put me on your heart. I just want to let you know I'm praying. What's not right is me calling Scott and says, hey, uh, Scott, the Lord just told me you need to quit your job. Right? Because now I'm placing myself as an authority and, and I'm saying you don't have fair say in this conversation because I'm playing this trump card. We got to be careful against that. Does that make sense? If you're with me, say I'm with you. All right, here's the next one. We take the name of the Lord in vain when we, act, when we interact with it in a way that is casual. When we interact with it in a way that is casual. So when I was in high school, my junior year, I started dating Mary. And uh, that summer, the summer between my junior and senior year, like I would go over to the Moeller's house and we would hang out a lot. And we would watch movies or have dinner, do bonfires, whatever. And I remember one night I was hanging out at the Moeller's and I came home and my folks were still awake. And uh, my mom's like, hey, how, how was your time over at Mary's? And I was like, it was great. We watched a movie, we had some dinner, then we went out and had a bonfire. And I said, Mr. and Mrs. Moeller, they came out and they hung out with us. It was super fun. And my mom stopped me. She goes, you did not call him Mr. Moeller, did you? Right? And I'm just an idiot high school. I'm like, yeah, I totally called him Mr. Moeller. And she goes, Calvin David was sent. That man is a doctor. And he went to school for eight years to get that degree. He deserves that respect. That's his title. I never want you to hear that you called him Mr. Moeller again. You better call him doctor, you moron. Right? And so here's the thing. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but when Mama was sent scolds you, you don't forget it. So li literally in my phone to this day, he's Dr. Moeller. Like he's my father-in-law and I'm scared to call him Randy, right? Because what my mom is saying is, is you've got to honor his position in our society. Here's why I give that story. Because there was a movement in the American church in the 60s and 70s, and it was called the Jesus Movement. And uh, this movement, a ton of good came from it. The heart of this movement was this idea that church had gotten way too high church. It had gotten way too formal. God and Jesus seemed very, very far away. It was way too much religion-based, not relationship-based. And the Jesus movement's like, we've got to recapture this personal relationship with Jesus. And one of the things I love that came from this movement was contemporary worship music. Rather than singing songs that, that's just about the words or might seem stale, let, let's connect with God in worship on an emotional level. Like a lot of how we do worship in our services are come from the Jesus movement. But one of the things that Jesus was trying to do, it, it was swinging the pendulum back from God is distant and far to God is very, very near. And, and one of the things they swung the pendulum too far on is they tried to create this picture that Jesus was just another bro. 
And it was this moment that like, hey, Jesus and I, we're friends, we're buddies, he's my BFF, and Jesus is just this guy that I have a friendship with. This was a big push in the Jesus movement. Um, there was even a thing happening in my high school, when I, in youth group when I was in high school, where the Christian girls, they went through this phase where Jesus was their boyfriend, Right? Like, like, my boyfriend is Jesus. And I love the heart behind it because it's like, again, you don't need some guy to give you your identity or to validate who you are. Jesus can do those things. But again, swung the pendulum too far and they're like, no, I don't need a boyfriend. I already have one. His name is Jesus. And I was like, no, he's not. And they're like, yeah, he is. I'm like, Jesus is not your boyfriend. And then I would just put him in logical boxes. So I was like, so if you get another boyfriend, does that mean you cheated on Jesus? And they didn't like that, Right? And I'm like, it's because he's not your boyfriend. And it became, let's be super, super casual with how we talk about Jesus. Um, This blew my mind when I found out about this. Did you know that in all of the Gospels, only one time did someone, when talking to Jesus, refer to him by his given first name, the casual name of Jesus? Only one time in the entire Gospels. You know who did it? Right? You're probably thinking Peter, because he's a loudmouth, right? It wasn't Peter. Um, It was a demon-possessed man. The only time someone called Jesus, Jesus to his face, was a demon-possessed man. Every time one of his followers talked to Jesus, they referred to him as master, teacher, Lord, or rabbi. Now, when they talked about Jesus and the things he'd done, they would refer to him as Jesus. But when they talked to him, there was always honor and respect attached to his name. Do you know that in all 21 of the New Testament letters, he's referred to as Jesus 28 times, but 484 times as Lord or Christ? That's over 95% of the time he's given honor and respect in his name. And church, here's what I'm trying to get at. We live in a culture that is very low honor. We love being casual. In fact, I was hanging out at our pastor's retreat we had this week, and one of our pastors was joking at the dinner table. He's like, my four-year-old daughter just decided to call me by my first name, and I can't get her to stop. And she's in her car seat just calling me by my first name, and I'm like, no, my name is Daddy. And she's like, no, it's not. Right? This is how we act. And, And listen to me. We don't need to be scared of the name of Jesus. We don't need to be scared of saying God. Like, it's amazing that we have a personal relationship with God. It's awesome that at any time, at any moment, we have access to the throne room of grace because what Jesus has done for us. But look at me. Just because we have a relationship with God that is personal does not give us permission to be casual. Here's what I mean. I don't want to be more casual with Jesus than his disciples were and his followers who were here on earth with him. So here's what I want to ask you. Do you, when you refer to your relationship with God or Jesus, do you give him and talk about him in a way that gives him the honor and glory his name is due? I was out to dinner a couple months ago with some friends, Mary and I. It was a, a couple friends of ours, and they're very much, I would say, in a place where they're still trying to figure out what they believe about Jesus and Christianity. And we were talking, and we were talking about life and marriage, and I was kind of making the argument that at the foundation of Mary and I's marriage and our relationship is, are we honoring the Lord? That that is kind of the compass that guides our life. And, and the, the girl who, who's our friend finally is like, Cal, I need to stop you. And I'm like, what? And she goes, I hate that you call him the Lord. And I was like, what? Like, I've been criticized for a lot of things before, but this is a new one, so I was interested. 
And I'm like, explain this to me. And she's like, whenever I watch your services online or whenever I hear you talk about Jesus or when the people who go to your church, when I hear them talk about Jesus, they always refer to him as the Lord. And I hate that you call him the Lord. And I just kind of smiled and I said, I think that's a you problem more than a me problem. Like, I believe that he is alive and he is ruling and reigning in heaven and he is worthy of that honor and glory due his name. We call him Lord because he is Lord, whether we want to believe it or not. So I just want to say, like, in that moment, I was really proud of our church. That's like, man, I love that Harvest has a reputation for calling Jesus Lord. That's a win, right? We can't be too casual. Here's the fourth. We take the name of the Lord in vain when we live in a way that dishonors it. Right, and thinking back to our baptism services a couple weeks ago, what is baptism? It's us publicly taking the name of Jesus. I love him. I'm his follower. He's my savior. I am pledging my allegiance to Jesus Christ. And if we take on the name of Jesus, we need to live in a way that honors him and obeys him. And to not do so is taking his name in vain. And I think this plays out in two primary ways with us. The first way this plays out is claiming to follow Christ while living in open and unrepentant sin. And um, I love child dedication weekend. I think it's such a, a, a powerful moment when families come and dedicate their kids to the Lord and to this church. Um, and I think baptisms are great. And I love doing weddings. I love all this stuff. But you need to understand in the history of our church, we've had people come and say, hey, can we dedicate a child or, 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 or can we get married? And the reality is, is they're living in a way that is way outside the bounds of what God would call them to. And when we speak into it and say, here's our concern is you're living in open sin to God. They're like, I don't care. I just want to go through the process. That puts us in a really difficult box. And what happens is, is we say, we're not going to bring you on stage and celebrate something or, or, or say that you want something that you clearly don't want in how you live. We're not going to take the name of the Lord in vain because we're living with open, unrepentant sin and then asking for God's blessing on our marriage or family or whatever that might be. Right, Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ to do good works. Right? Here's what that means. We don't just represent ourselves. Francesca, you don't just represent you, you represent Jesus. We carry that name. We were created by him to do good works. This is why we gather together in small groups and community. And it's like, I want to open up my heart. I want to make sure that my brothers in Christ aren't seeing things in me that I'm blind to. Like, can I ask you a question? Is there any unrepentant bitterness, selfishness, sin? Are there things going on in your life that you know are wrong and are choosing not to deal with? We need to take that serious. We need to have soft hearts that are repentant because if we don't, we're actually taking the name of the Lord in vain. Here's the other way we do it is when we just kind of simply go through the motions in our Christian life. And listen, I get that all of us are human, that none of us do this perfectly, that everyone gets tired, everyone gets distracted. But can I ask you a question? When we were singing praises to Jesus this morning in our time of worship, was your heart fully engaged? Or have you gotten really, really good at singing words that your mind and your heart are completely disconnected from? Are you thinking about the rest of your day? Are you thinking about your week? Are you thinking about the problems in your life and just going through the motions in worship? Are you raising your hands? Are you worshiping God the way he wants you to? Or, or, or we have, have we gotten comfortable doing what's most comfortable for us? 
How's your prayer life? Do you know that for us to call ourselves Christians and to have a watered-down, lame, uneventful prayer life is actually taking the name of the Lord in vain? Like, man, we're so, we have a personal relationship with God. He's close to us. We, we love him. He's near to us. We just never talk to him. Do you have a, a, a real, authentic dependency on God? This is why we're going through a prayer book together as a small group. We want to make sure that the things we say we believe about God, we're actually living out in our lives. Do you keep your walk with Christ just in certain areas of your life? Is it confined to only certain aspects? Listen, we have identified ourselves with the one who has saved us, given us life, and when we represent him in a way that's just out of obligation or tired or distracted, we become guilty of taking the name of the Lord in vain. Okay, so there's four ways that we kind of fall short in that. And what I want to do as we close, I want to kind of end on a positive note, and I want to give a vision for how can we honor the third commandment well How can we best honor the third commandment? Here's how we do it. It's very, very simple. We need to live with a vision of our future reality. The way we are going to get this right, church, is if we live with our eyes on what our ultimate reality will be. And do me a favor. If you have your Bibles, turn them to Philippians 2. Do you know that Paul in the book of Philippians, he actually shows us the climactic moment of all of creation? He gives us the one moment that everything was created for. And we're going to be involved in this. We're going to be here for that. So I want to share with you what it is. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. It says this. It says, have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. All right, look at verse 9. Here it is. This is the climax of all creation. It says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. You see, it's about the name of Jesus in this moment. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right? There's this moment that's coming where everyone in heaven and on earth and under the earth will be doing the same name or same thing. We will be on our knees extolling the glory of the name of Jesus. This is why we were created. This is the fulfillment of God's plan. So you know what the third commandment is? It's an invitation for us to get to the party early. That in how we live, in how we conduct ourselves, how we talk about God, how we live for God, we can give glory and honor to the name of Jesus. We can live for this moment before the moment even arrives. Right, this commandment is so much more than certain words we say or we don't say. It has everything to do with, are we living out our created purpose? Are we elevating the name of Jesus above any name out there? Right, I remember we closed our worship set by singing, your name is a strong and mighty tower. Your name is a shelter like no other. Nothing has the power to save but your name. Do you know those are all simply things the Bible says about the name of Jesus that we're repeating? We were saved so that the name of Jesus might be glorified and now we get to participate in doing that together. Let's pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, this service. I thank you for um, this commandment. And God, even as we close in worship, God, I pray that our worship would be sincere. I pray that we wouldn't be a church that goes through the motions. God, I'm so thankful that I'm at a place that takes your word and your name seriously. God, would we love you? Would we not be too casual? Would we not be selfish in, in how we define our relationship with you? But would we be people who glorify you and love you and walk in a way that is honorable and humble? We need your help in that. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.